Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. It's good to be back this morning um, with you, and we're going to go back. I intended to preach this last Sunday, but I don't want to skip the book of Ruth. Um, I always find that whatever book I'm preaching in is my favorite, um, but Ruth really is one of my favorites. I got about 20 top five uh, that I love, and they're all in there together, but Ruth is one of those. Ruth is a story of grace. It's a story of, uh, of redeeming grace, or grace uh, that is used to redeem not only Ruth, but I think what you'll find is into next week as we finish with chapters three and four, I think you'll find that it's not necessarily about Ruth, but this story may be more about Naomi, her mother-in-law. As you get into chapter one and chapter two, it begins, this story begins with a very defining moment for a man by the name of Elimelech. Um, you think of those defining moments, the key moments in your own life that, uh, that, have, that have really set the pace for your life, set the direction for your life. Maybe it was a, a choice of vocation or the choice of who you would marry or um, you know, the choice of a college or whatever that would look like. But these defining moments, they're, they're key crossroads in life that come along. Uh, and sometimes you are faced with a road that is less traveled. Certainly, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are, or you'd better be, on the narrow road because that's where Jesus said it was. It was a narrow road, and few find it. Um, there's other times you find a road that is well-traveled, well-beaten down. It's wide, and there's lots of people on it. Um, and that, if that's where you are this morning, perhaps um, you should think about the road you're traveling. But um, sometimes these decisions are made for us, like uh, Naomi and her two sons, and even Ruth and uh, Orpah, because Elimelech made the choice that he did. So Ruth chapter one is a story of choices made, of roads traveled, long-term consequences that will play out as the story progresses through chapter one. I'm gonna invite you to stand to your feet as we read verses 16 and 17 together. I realize that's jumping down into the story, but really it sets the pace for the rest of the story. Um, and, and this is a, a passage that's two verses that were probably very familiar to you. Ruth replied, she's talking back to Naomi, don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be committed to you like Ruth is to Naomi. Father, that over this Sunday and next, the truth of our kinsman redeemer 
would settle in our hearts. That those who need to hear the call of the Redeemer would have their ears open. Father, for those hearts that need to be turned back toward home to find hope once again, that they would hear that call. And that by trusting in you, our Redeemer, there and only there, we would find relief from the bitterness of our hearts as a result of our sin. Lord Jesus, have your way with us. What we do not know, teach us. What we are not yet, make us for your glory and our good. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Friends, when we read into Ruth chapter one, we need to understand that we are enticed by the empty promises of Moab. Verse one tells us the time period that we find the book of Ruth written in, the time of, it says in verse one, during the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem and Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. This man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They entered the fields of Moab and settled there. We are enticed by the empty promises of Moab. Verse 1 tells us that Bethlehem is in a time of famine. It also tells us that it's the time of the judges. Having just come out of Judges, we know, if you've been with us, that if you look at the very last verse of Judges chapter 21, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what seemed right to him. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. That's the whole period of the Judges. Ruth takes place in that time period. So we understand that there is a cycle in Jerusalem, in Bethlehem, all over Israel, and all over the land. There is a cycle of sin that spirals into darkness in a place where Israel will get into godless worldly living and false worship of false gods and literally digging their own graves because of their sin. And yet even in the dark time for Israel as a people, God will stand out in this story and how he is working in Naomi's life, how he is using Ruth and Boaz to bring about fullness and pleasantness once again for Naomi. Why is that? Because God is always keeping a believing remnant. Even when the nation is turned away, there is still a very small portion of Israelites in every time period that will believe and they trust God. They remember the promises of God from his word and they hold on to those those promises. So there is no king in Israel in this time. It's a dark time because of the situation. We hear there is a famine in the land. Now, that's not setting the time of year for us, all right? Like in South Texas, if we were to read that about South Texas, we'd say, okay, it's May, June, July, and August, right? Sets the time of year. It's hot, it's dry, nothing's growing unless you water it artificially. It's like just, it's a, but that's not what he's giving us. That statement is a clue to tell us what kind of spiritual condition the people of Israel are in. It's famine. Why are they in famine? Because they are experiencing the discipline of the Lord. Why? Because they've turned their back on him. 
Just like in the time of the judges, that's where we are. Everyone's doing what is right in their own eyes. That means they're not doing what God said. They're not following his law. They're not being obedient. They're not trusting him in life. And so God has brought discipline on them. Did they know that would happen? Absolutely, they knew it would happen because God told them it would happen in the book of Deuteronomy and other places as well. So let's think big picture. I've heard it said, well, you could take modern day America and place it in this time and it would match rather well. I would say you could take any nation in the world right now, set it in this time period, and of course it would match rather well because lost people are going to do what lost people do. That's what sinners do. We act like sinners. My bigger concern would be this question. Can we take the modern-day church and place it in this time? And would we see a match with what's going on in Israel? Because there are lots of times in our lives and you may, may be in one today where we turn our attention away from following Jesus and we go after the empty promises of Moab. This is what happened to Elimelech. In these days of hardship, in these days of famine, he moved his wife and his two sons away from Bethlehem because of Moab. There was a promise of food in Moab. Now, Elimelech, in the Old Testament, we remember a name means everything. We always, you always need to think, what does that name mean when you see a, a name brought out like this? What, so do a little research and you'll figure it out. Elimelech means my God is king. And yet he's making the choice to leave Bethlehem. God is anything but his king. If he's like any other Israelite in this time, he's doing what is right in his own eyes, according to his standard. Well, that may sound like good common sense, right? You don't want to starve. You want to pick up and go to a place where there's plenty of food. That makes total sense. Bethlehem, the name of that little town of Bethlehem is House of Bread. But it's interesting because there's no food. You see how all of this is playing together, the dynamics of just one, one or two verses. It just opens up a can of worms for us. This is a tough choice. Because what often will pull our attention away is a time of testing, but even more than that is a time of discipline. Because when God disciplines, we're thinking, oh, he doesn't really love me like he said he did. In which case, you're calling God a liar, and I'd advise you not to do that. And we, we check out on God because of the discipline. When it's our own fault, but rather we're turning our hearts away from him looking for a better place. Looking for a better avenue, an easier path forward in life. One that's a little more comfortable for us. And we think, ah, oh, yes, this must be the thing. This must, this will be the, the answer to my problems. This path, oh, over here. Maybe it's education. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's something that'll provide us a little more money. Or maybe it's that new F-150 that tells you when to go get a cup of coffee. Have y'all heard about that? Like, I may need to go find one of those because I love coffee that much. I don't know. But I know full well, you do too, that that's not going to fulfill Chris Irving. The preacher of Ecclesiastes if you read that, and we will as soon, in a couple of months we'll be there, but if you were to read through Ecclesiastes, you'll see that the preacher of Ecclesiastes, which is Solomon, he'll tell you, all of that stuff, it's all a chasing after the wind. You're not going to catch it. It's not going to fulfill you. And you know what? Let's put that in, well, it's not modern day terms, but you can still find the song out there. You're going to end up like the Rolling Stones. You ain't going to find no satisfaction out there. And then you can join in the chorus with you too because you'll still keep searching what you haven't found and you'll be looking for it and you'll not find it. 
empty promises of Moab. Even though Israel is in sin and they're experiencing famine because of their sin, do they stay in Bethlehem? Would they stay there and mourn for the sin of the people, perhaps even their own sin? Would they repent of their sin and turn back to the Lord? Because you know, although for them, this verse was not in Chronicles yet, it had not been written, but we know from 2 Chronicles 7, 13 and 14, God's standard is if in a time of famine and hardship, if you will humble yourself, pray and come back to the Lord, turn your heart back to him, he will hear from heaven and he will heal your land. That's God's standard. Would they stay in Bethlehem and repent of their sin? Or do they leave the promised land behind and search for greener pastures? This time, the greener pasture appeared to be Moab because they heard that Moab was good for food. Sounds like an equal choice. Humanly speaking, it makes sense. It sounds wise to take your family where there's food so they don't starve. Theologically speaking, though, trusting God speaking, it is not. It is not an equal choice. Why would I say that? Why why is that? Let's remember, Bethlehem is in the heart of the promised land. That promised land is what God gave to Israel. Did Israel deserve that land? No, it was a grace gift to Israel by God. That land did not quit on them. God did not quit on them. They had turned their backs on God. Well, what's wrong with Moab? Why, is it, why would it theologically, why, uh, why would it be wrong for them to go? Well, if you go back to Genesis chapter 19, you do a little more digging in the Old Testament. How did Moab even come about? Well, it came about because Moab is born, the little boy, the man named Moab, who the Moabites are descended from, is born from an incestuous relationship established by Lot's two daughters. Moab is born in sin. Moab is born in rebellion, open rebellion to God. They don't worship Yahweh. They worship Kamash. I mean, do I need to go on as to why you don't want to take your family to Moab? Yet here is Elimelech leading his family away from God's promised land, Bethlehem, the, land, the house of bread, to a land of sin in Moab. Oh, but there's bread. Oh, but there's the, the promise of Moab. But beloved, the promise of Moab was empty. Moab was not a pleasant place. I could go on. There's other stories about Moab. In the book of Numbers, King Balak, he's the one who hired Balaam to curse the Israelites as they were coming out of Egypt. You'll remember the talking donkey story. If not, go find it, Numbers chapter 22 through 25. Well, what's going on here? Friends, Israel is in chaos. Israel is in chaos because they are in sin. And when there is chaos in the house of God and the people of God, when life is out of control and things are out of place, we will look to another person, another place, another ideology, or another theology. We will look for another way not realizing that we are the ones that have stepped and transgressed God's standard, God's law, God's will. And when we lack that biblical worldview, we are going to be influenced by other worldviews that are not biblical, a worldview that is not grounded in biblical truth that never changes. That is a worldview that is birthed out of and produces sin. 
It may look promising. It may sound right. Heavens to Betsy, it might even vote right, but it ain't biblical, which means it ain't right. It means we're in sin. The end of that promise is empty, just like Moab is empty for Elimelech, Naomi, and their boys. Friends, there's lots of Christians today, maybe so-called Christians. We look deep into our life, and what are we doing? We're shacking up with the culture of Moab. We're getting assimilated into the culture of Moab, into the empty promises of Moab, rather than becoming like Christ. Well, you continue on in the story. After some time, it's not just a vacation to Moab, right? They didn't get an Airbnb for a couple of days. They have planted roots in Moab. It's about 10 years before Naomi will begin the journey back. But we see in verse 3 why Moab is empty in its promises, especially to Elimelech. Verse 3, Naomi's husband Elimelech died, and she was left with her two sons. Naomi's life is turning a sad direction, a bitter direction. There's still hope for her. There's still a chance because she has her two boys. That could have been a turning point for Naomi. She could have said, okay, your your daddy's gone. We've got to get back to Bethlehem. We've got to go home. No, they stay put. They stay put in verse four. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah and the second was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab about 10 years, here comes the next sad part. Both Malon and Kilion died. Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. There's not much hope for her now in Moab. After 10 years, it took her 10 years to realize those empty promises of Moab, that they're not going to come true. It's not going to be all that Elimelech thought it would be. She allows her two Jewish Israelite boys to marry two Moabite women. What's the problem with that? Well, the problem with that is that God said for them not to do that. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 7, Israel was forbidden to intermarry with the people groups around them, but they did. Why is that? Because they'll always pull Israel away from Yahweh. Always. Happens every time. Well, by the end of chapter, uh, verse 5, Naomi knows she can no longer stay there. There's no hope for her. But in verse 6, we get a glimpse of God's goodness and God's pathway to restoration because of his grace. Look at verse six. She and her daughters-in-law set out to return from the territory, territory of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people and their need by providing them food. She heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people. It's interesting here because God was always paying attention to his people. God never forgot his people. The discipline shows that he had not forgotten them. Israel started paying attention to God again. At some point, we don't have this in the story, but at some point, God has returned the reins. We know again from 2 Chronicles 7 what happened. Israel must have repented and come back. God restored everything that, they were, that, that was gone in the famine. Friends, God's judgment of sin is always reliable. It's always right, it's always just, and it's on time. His word is faithful and true. And what is even more consistent is his faithfulness to his promises. 
that Scripture is, God's desire in Scripture is to see his sinners, lost sinners, come home. God's work is a work of grace. His work is a work of redemption. He desires that we sinful people come home. You might be in a place this morning where you have sold your heart and you sold out God's goodness and God's work in your life for the culture and the allure of Moab. You've discovered that the promises of Moab are empty. Oh, it looked good, it looked promising. But you know, if you've ever bitten into a piece of fried chicken, it looked good on the outside, but on the inside it wasn't quite done yet. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, it's happened to me, it's rather disgusting. And if you keep going, it's gonna hurt you, it's gonna make you very sick. The empty promises of Moab. One thing you always must remember is that God will visit his people, and that's what we find. That's where we see grace coming in. When God visits you, he turns your heart toward home. When God visits you, he turns your heart toward home. The the Christian Standard Bible, which is what I'm preaching with this morning, says he paid attention to Israel's needs. The ESV and King James use the phrase, the Lord had visited his people. I like that, that phrase, he visited his people. Friends, God will not neglect his people forever. That's what's so glorious and great about him. His mission is the redemption of sinners. That's his purpose. I love how Peter catches that in 2 Peter. He says, listen, be patient for how God is at work. He says this, don't overlook this one fact, church, with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. That is the mission of God. How does Naomi know that God is at work? Well, if one, she hears in her grief, in her bitterness, she heard good news. Nothing can turn the bitter heart around like good news. God's work is good news. And all who carry that good news have beautiful feet, so says Romans. That's the church today. We are the ones who leave this place into our mission field having been in the presence of God, having worshiped him today. We go out and we carry that good news to the world that so desperately needs to hear the good news of God's grace and God's mercy. She also heard that God had intervened. He acted, he paid attention, he visited his people. That's part of that good news is that God still loves his covenant people because he's faithful to his promise. The third part of that is that that covenant is still in effect. He didn't nullify the contract. He didn't nullify the the covenant between them. He, He visited his people. The object of that visit was his people. And the answer to their problem, his presence returning, is that he gave them what they needed once again, just like he did in the wilderness. Bread, manna, quail, water, whenever they needed it, God was there providing it. Now, when God visits you, when God visits his church, when God visits his people, we should respond like Naomi. Well, what did she do? She got up, she returned, she left. That's called repentance. That's exactly what repentance is. You get up where you are, you turn your heart toward home, or you let him do that for you, and you walk away from Moab. It's exactly what the prodigal son did. He got up out of the pig pen, he turned his heart toward home, and he went back home, and there his father was waiting for him to welcome back. When God visits you, there is and always is a reorienting of our hearts toward home. He's always going to be working, recalibrating our heart toward home. Why is that? Because the empty charms of Moab are always 
knocking on the door. It's always there. The promises of prosperity, the promises of wholeness that Moab offers are never far away. And so our hearts must return home. That is repentance. For Naomi, that road is a road marked with bitterness. She's not quite there yet, and she lets her bitterness show. If you look at verses 8, they're ready to go home. They're ready to to head back, and and, and Naomi has this burden for her two daughters-in-law. There's not much of a future for Orpah and Naomi uh, and, and Ruth. They're, they're Moabites. They're, they're not going to have much, uh, if anything, in Israel. They're going to be outsiders. They're foreigners. They'll be looked down upon. They'll be treated harshly. Probably have some sins committed against them, some crimes. Uh, it's just not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy for Naomi either. Even though she's a Jew, it doesn't really matter because she's a widow. There's no one there to work for her. There's no one there to, to help her. It's going to be tough enough by herself, much less having two more mouths to feed. And here's what we see in Naomi. We see a widow now returning who left 10 years ago, full of life. In fact, her name means pleasant. She's full of life and full of pleasantness. Fullness had returned or is returning now to Bethlehem, but she's returning empty. She's returning without her husband and her two sons. You know, in the eyes of the women of Bethlehem and those around, God obviously must have cursed her for that decision to leave. We keep going. The girls didn't want to leave Naomi behind, but Naomi speaks in verses 12 and 13 out of her bitterness. Listen, she says, return home, my daughters, go on. For I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Friends, that's what bitterness does. It changes and it skews your perspective of life and what God is doing. It changes how you interpret events, like looking at a mirror that's cracked. You don't get the full picture. It's distorted. Bitterness will cause you to see other other people's words or their treatment of you. It'll it'll cause you to see just not the right picture. It'll it'll cause you to, it'll skew your heart and your mind even more so in its orientation toward God. What is God doing? Bitterness will not allow you to see what God is doing and how he's working in your life. Jesus commanded his church and his disciples, seek first the kingdom of God, but bitterness, uh, the bitterness of your heart will always cause you to look somewhere else. The bitterness of your heart will always cause you to look to the empty promises of Moab, thinking, oh, it must be better there. Bitterness will make you and your feelings the center of your own little universe rather than seeking God's kingdom first, his righteousness. Bitterness is going to lead you to focus on yourself and your offendedness rather than Christ and the offense of your sin and bitterness against him. Thus, your focus is on the broken and bitter rather than the one who heals and makes everything better. Well, Naomi is soaking wet with Bitterness, my life is much too bitter for you to share. She blamed the Lord. The Lord's hand has turned against me. Oh, Naomi, if, if you could only see what we can see. 
If you could skip ahead, Naomi, to chapter 4 as it's being written and see how God works it all out. If you could only see to the better day when the Son of God comes in the flesh incarnate and dwells amongst his people and the people that are there can behold the glory of God in the Son of God. Oh, Naomi, if you could just see what's coming, you wouldn't send these young women back to Kamash the God of Moab and the emptiness of Moab. You would take them with you to the house of bread, to Bethlehem, so that they could know the bread of life. Friends, you, you know the empty, broken promises of the land of Moab. You know that in this old sinful world that we live in. And yet those bitterness, that bitterness and the moments of bitterness that we cling to, instead of clinging to the promises of God, we've gotta remember the promises of God in this church. We gotta remember what is his goal in our life. Yes, the redemption of sinners, but what comes next? Well, we read the truth in Romans chapter eight. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That working all things is that all things that happen in our life, that God is orchestrating. God uses the, that, that time, that, that hardship. He uses that to conform you to the image of his son. That is his glorious good that he works in your life to conform you to the image of his son. That hardship, that negative word, that illness, that storm, that whatever, insert your own issue. God is using it to conform you to the image of his son. Yet too many of us will turn away and look to be conformed to the world and what the world has to offer and the empty promises of Moab rather than being transformed by the renewing of our minds as we follow Christ Jesus. When God visits, he turns our heart toward home and home is where hope is restored. Naomi and Ruth are going to return home. As Naomi released her two daughters-in-law, Ruth, Ruth clings to Naomi. You find that in verse 14. They wept loudly. Orpah kissed Naomi, her mother-in-law. She leaves. She goes back to Kamash and Moab. We never hear of her again. But in Ruth, we see her clinging to Naomi. We hear one more time this plea from Naomi. Go back. Listen, your sister-in-law has gone to go back with her people and to her gods. Follow her. Go back. And yet here is Ruth. Don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Home is where hope is restored. Ruth wants to stay with Naomi. Now that word there, cling, is an important word. If you go back to Genesis chapter 2, it's the word that is used for the commitment between a husband and wife. When God said, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, clings to his wife, cleaves to his wife. Leave and cleave. And they become one flesh. It's that level of deep commitment on Ruth's part. And it will speak volumes to a man by the name of Boaz in chapter two. But notice that Ruth doesn't only Not only does she commit her life to Naomi, but more importantly, at the end of verse 16, she says, your God will be my God. You realize what she's done. She's left her people. She's left her gods. She's turned her back on her gods and has committed her life and her heart, not only to Naomi, but also to Yahweh, to the I am, to the God of Israel. There's something about this girl named Ruth. 
Back to Naomi in verse 19, upon her return to Bethlehem, the women of the town see her and they're stunned. Notice what they say in verse 19, can this be Naomi? Remembering that that name means pleasant. Can this be pleasant? Can this be the one who left us? In fact, look at the next verse, verse 20. Naomi's response, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. She answered, call me Mara. Call me bitter. Now that name Mara means bitter. It's the same name for the location where the Israelites traveling through the wilderness in Egypt, out of Egypt, come to a place of bitter water and they, what do they do? They started grumbling against God. How could you bring us out here? Why are you doing this? You're gonna kill us. No, it's been better for us to go back to Egypt and be in, no, no. They're grumbling against God and complaining about God bringing them out. And that place is called Mara because it's bitter. Like those before her, Naomi's heart was bitter toward God for the way that her story is going and the way it's turned out. That choice 10 years ago to leave the land of promise into the land of Moab and the empty promises of Moab have really bittered her life. And Naomi's heart is bitter toward God. The pain of her life, the pain of that desert led her to believe that the judgments of God had come upon her and that it was all his fault. Bitterness will do that to you. Bitterness will lead you to resent God and what he's doing in your life. And when you reach that level, it's difficult to walk it back. But there is one truth, one act that will change the bitter heart, and that is the grace of God. You see in verse 22, Naomi and Ruth have come, <clears throat> come back from the territory of Moab with, with Ruth by her side. The, the last verse is, Last sentence of verse 22. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. When we started in chapter one, there was a famine. By the end of chapter one, Naomi heard God was at work. She has come home, and now we see that God has brought the rains, he's brought the crops, and there's a harvest. Friends, Naomi is tired. She's empty. She's got no husband, no sons, no heirs, no one to take care of her, only her daughter-in-law, Ruth. There's not much hope for either one of them. But we remember God visited his people. There is always hope for a better day. We find that hope in verse 22 because what began as a famine is restored by a harvest. Home is where hope is restored. Friends, don't lose hope in the goodness of God. Don't lose hope because what he has planned for you in your future in Christ Jesus to be conformed to the image of Christ Jesus, his son. Hope in Christ will not disappoint. And when you return home, that hope is realized because there at home, you realize God is your refuge. In hard times and in good times, God is your refuge in and from the storm. You get into chapter two and we meet Boaz. Boaz is a man of character. Ruth is going to go start gleaning. That's what they did in the, in the crops. When they were harvested, the Bible, the, the God's word, God's law had commanded the farmers and those who were raising the crops to leave the edges of the field 
unharvested so that the widows, the poor could come along and glean the side, the edges of the field and that they could come along and pick up what the harvesters missed. And we find Boaz in his field, he's following the law. We have to remember in this, why do I call him a man of godly character? Because he is doing what God's word had said. Not all of them would do that. Remember, it's the time of the judges. Everyone's doing what is right in their own eyes. But here comes Boaz. Ruth had received permission from Naomi to go out and glean in the fields. God orchestrated her steps to, for her to land in the field belonging to Boaz. Now, Boaz is a member of Elimelech's family. Enter the, the thought, the hope of a better day that this man could be the kinsman redeemer. We'll get into that next week. But we see Boaz, a man of character. He's a man of means, a prominent man. He's got land. He's got social standing. He's got a good reputation. He's a man of noble character. He cared for the poor. He did what was right. He and Ruth are very similar in this regard. And his name means in him is strength. The first words out of his mouth in verse 4, it's like, not get to work. But he comes upon his harvesters in his field and he says, the Lord be with you. The I am be with you. And his, his servants said, and the Lord bless you. What a greeting. That'd be odd if you walked into work tomorrow and your boss said, the Lord bless you and keep you. Started singing that song that came out a couple of, couple of years ago. That'd be odd, wouldn't it? For some of you, it would be. Absolutely. But we see already this man is a man that is centered his heart on God, and, and he had already heard about what Ruth was doing, how she left her family, how she left her people, the Moabites, how she turned her back on Chemosh and her gods and committed herself to Naomi, committed to come along and take care as best she could with Naomi. He'd already heard about that, and because he takes notice and he says, who, who's, is this, who, who does this young lady belong to? Oh, that's Ruth. She's with Naomi. Haven't you heard about her? Haven't you heard about what's going on? And that catches Boaz, and it captures his heart. In verse 8, he says, listen, my daughter, don't go to the other, grain, the other fields and gather grain. Don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting. Follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. This kindness, this He's given permission. Yes, stay here. Don't go anywhere else. Stay here. He's given protection. Stay close to my female servants. Watch them. Follow them. Go where they go. Glean where they are working. And the young men, oh, they're to not touch you. Drink from the same well. That's unheard of. A foreigner drinking from the same water source. Oh, wait a minute. Remember that story? Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Oh, he had heard about the sacrifice that Ruth had made. And he says, she falls face down in verse 10. This is how she responds to his kindness. She bowed down to the ground. She says, why have I found favor with you that, that you notice me? Although I'm a foreigner, it's, it's unheard of. It's not normal. Boaz answered, everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported. How you left your father and mother, your native land, how you came to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done. Here he begins praying for her. May you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Friends, when you come home, 
When your heart is reoriented toward home and you come home and there you find hope, there you also find refuge from the storm. Listen to what he said. He didn't say, Ruth, you've come under my wings for protection. You're not finding refuge in me. What did he say? He said that you would find full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. She left her God, went to the true God, and found refuge there with him. She found comfort. She found this act of kindness, probably the first one since she'd returned back to Bethlehem, or actually come to Bethlehem for the very first time. Ruth is not returning. She's going for the very first time. Naomi has returned. Even though there's this great divide between them ethnically and socially, theologically, but by God's grace, he's bringing them together. And we'll see the rest of the story next week, but here's a couple of thoughts. In Proverbs 16.3, the Bible says, commit your activities to the Lord and your plans will be established. We find refuge when we are brokenhearted because God saves those crushed in spirit. Psalm 147, verse three, he heals the brokenhearted and he, and he bandages their wounds. Listen, bitterness is not attractive. It seems to be in abundance these days. And friends, grace, and especially in the church, grace and mercy are needed now more than ever, but they're rare. But if we hear the call of God and we sense his work that he is reorienting our hearts back toward home and that when we get there, hope is restored of a better day and in that better day, we find refuge. That's the journey Ruth is on. That's the journey Naomi is on. That's the journey we're on. And we find that fulfillment and that answer in Christ. For Ruth, as a Moabitess, a foreigner, many would have considered her an enemy of Israel. Ruth found faith and turned her heart toward God. All of those covenant promises that we find, we read about in the Old Testament, they're all fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. She trusted in a better day. That better day happened when Jesus came, when Jesus died on the cross, sacrificed his life in a bigger and greater way than Ruth sacrificed her life. He is a greater redeemer than Boaz ever will be. And in Jesus, we find the bread of life where we find our refuge. I wonder if you have trusted him as Savior and Lord of your life. If you're here this morning and you, sent, and you know you have not, I pray today that you will hear his calling you, calling your heart home. Turn back from the empty promises that this world has led you to believe are real and true and will bring meaning to your life. They're not. They're false, they're fake, and it leads to death. The only place we find hope and refuge is in Jesus Christ, our kinsman, our redeemer. If you are here, church, believer, follower of Jesus, and you have transgressed, you've sinned, you've walked away, you've turned your heart and your affections to the empty promises of Moab, today is a great day to hit the reset button. The grace of God is always bringing you back, and he will use this moment to fashion you and to conform you to the image of his son for his glory 
Would you come home and find hope? Find that relationship restored. As our praise team comes, we're going to pray. And as they come, we're gonna begin singing in a few moments another song of worship as response to the word of God this morning. And if in your response to the word of God, you are ready to give your life and your trust to Jesus, I'll be here at the front to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you and help lead you through that process. If there is something you need to come to the altar, these steps this morning and, and pray and confess and repent and turn your heart back to the Lord, oh, beloved, his grace and mercy are there. His mercy is more. He's waiting. He's waiting for you to turn back. You can come and pray. We'll have some deacons here as well. They'll be happy to pray with you any way we can. As you come, as you stand to your feet, let us pray.